Ephesians chapter 2 or Luke chapter 9 or keep your finger in Luke 9 and turn to Ephesians 2. Lord, we love you so much, God. We thank you so much, Lord. You not only saved our lives, Lord, came into our life. Uh, Luke actually says you came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what we were. We're wandering through this life aimlessly lost, serving ourselves, serving our own purposes, uh, unsatisfied. And you came to save us, uh, not only from that, but from an eternal separation from you and how you saved us from our sins. And we thank you so much for that. And I pray this morning, Lord, you'd open our ears uh, and our minds, our hearts, Lord, to what your word has to say, God, that it would activate faith in us, that we would walk in the things uh, that your word says, Lord. We need you so much, Lord. We're in total dependence on you and reliance on you, Lord. We love you, uh, and thank you that you first loved us, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells this church, this, these, this Ephesian church, um, something special. Not only salvation, he says this in chapter 2, verse 8. He talks about salvation, which is uh, what Jesus comes to do for sure. He says, for by grace... You've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You can't, you can't earn salvation. You can't be good enough. You can't be nice enough. You can't uh, stop being bad long enough or at all. He says it's a gift of God, not of works, works lest anyone should boast. Salvation's a gift. Jesus came to the cross. He died there and paid the penalty of, for our sins and, and what we owed. So we don't have to pay that. We deserve death, and he paid that for us. But he doesn't stop there because he saved us. He gives us heaven, but he doesn't stop there. And then he gives us purpose. Verse 10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, uh, I know I've shared this before, maybe you remember it. It's the word, Greek word poema. It's where we get our word poem or story. We're his workmanship. God has now created us, saved us for something bigger than us, for something more than just serving ourselves. He's created us for good works that we should walk in. Them. That his design and his desire for our life is now bigger than our own little kingdom that, that we often get caught in every day and that we serve every day. He's created us. He's writing a story of our life. And it's for good works that we should walk in all of them, that we wouldn't miss out on any of them, that we'd be able to walk in everything God has called us to and asked of our lives, right? That's the purpose of your life. Apart from walking in that purpose, apart from walking in what God has called you to, man, you're going to be empty. You're going to be lonely. You're going to think, I did it. I got, you know, I've got this much in the bank or my house looks like this or my car or my my skill level or whatever it is. I've achieved it. I've went on, you know, the this vacation or, you know, whatever it is, whatever your goal is. You're not going to be satisfied because God has got greater for you and it's serving his kingdom. So if you turn with me. Uh, to Luke chapter 9, that's part of what God's doing in the life of his disciples. And if you're a Christian here, you're a disciple. 
And he's teaching them great lessons. Luke chapter 9. It says this in verse 1. He called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't have two tunics apiece. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and they went through every town preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John, have I beheaded? And who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. And he took, he took them and went aside privately into, into a deserted place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. So Jesus begins his ministry at age 30, public ministry. 30 years old, he goes out Jordan River, and John the Baptist baptizes him. And the Spirit descends on him like a dove, right? And he, there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus begins his public ministry at 30 years old. And he calls the disciples and they watch him as he fields questions and he heals the sick and he gives sight to the blind and he helps the lame to walk. And they're watching him and watching him and observing his life and everything he says And now there's a transition, another transition in Jesus' life. And he takes the 12 and he says, now I'm going to send you out. Now you guys are going to go. And can you imagine, you know, probably excited to a degree, worried, nervous, like they've been watching Jesus this whole time and what he's been doing. Like, wow, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that comeback or that, you know, when when the scribes or the Pharisees said that? And, And they're probably thinking, now we get to do that? And he, and he wants to send them out, it says in verse 1, he called the 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The transition for these guys, and these guys are regular guys. These guys were just regular guys, like fishermen. At least four of them are fishermen. Right? And, and probably if Jesus called anyone from our area, they'd be in some union, right? Or working on a farm. Jesus calls regular people to, to, to serve him in whatever capacity. It doesn't matter, right? He didn't call the highly educated. He didn't call the, you know, turn to 1 Corinthians with me for a second. This isn't the first time I've turned here. First Corinthians. Paul tells the Corinthians, First Corinthians one, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians one. He says this in verse twenty six. He says, You see your calling, brethren. 
that not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble are called. Doesn't mean not, it doesn't say not any, but he says not many. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. I remember 30 years ago being at Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes and hearing Bill Gallatin teach on this and the qualifications, what God's, you know, who God has called into the ministry. And Bill's, Bill's like, this is my qualification. And verse 28 says, and the base things of the world, right? And, and, and he commented on the fact that the base things of the world literally means the grease scrapings. Like when you make bacon, and what's left over in the pan after you take all the bacon out, the grease scrapings, that's, he says, that's what God has chosen. They're not the best things. They're like maybe the things that give you a heart attack. I don't know, right? But because God can take anyone and anything. And what he does here in Luke 9, it says he gave them power and authority. Because it's not your ability, it's his ability. And the disciples are going to learn that. The disciples are going to learn. And Paul will tell Timothy to study, to show yourself approved. Like these guys weren't out there just flipping. They were watching Jesus. They were learning. He was teaching them. But they were just regular guys. He can grab anyone and say, you know what? I'm going to use your life. In fact, he grabs everyone. Everyone who's a Christian here is somebody that God says, I'm going to use your life. I'm going to take your life. doesn't matter what your occupation, your past is, your history. I'm going to use your life. And it's our duty. Jesus will, in fact, say, if we get there, hopefully we get there in verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Like That's the requirement of walking with Jesus Christ. Lord, my life is yours now. You take it. Do whatever you want with it. So he calls the 12 that are just regular guys. He calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Why? He's able to give them power and authority. They get a little preview of things that are going to come in the book of Acts. Because these same 12 disciples, what's said about them is they turn the world upside down. Just fishermen, tax collectors, just regular guys. People are like, who are these people? Right? They'll arrest Peter and John for preaching the gospel. They go to the temple, and, and they're preaching at the gate, beautiful. And there's a guy lame from his youth, and, and they, they're healed. the guy gets healed. And then the, Peter preaches uh, a sermon, and he's arrested, him and John. Put in prison. They're charged, hey, don't tell anyone about Jesus anymore. Not going to happen. Don't do it, or else. And it didn't matter what they did. And, and what the scribes and Pharisees finally said is they, they perceived this, that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They didn't have any prior, like this education, like scribes and Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys prided themselves on this education. They understood one thing, that they had been with Jesus. They're like, yeah, they do have a rabbi in their life, a teacher. It's that Jesus and that's why they're able to do what they're able to do. 
Because that's their master. That's their teacher. They're watching his life. It's the example. So he gives the, the disciples power. That's dunamis. That's the same power that he promises in the book of Acts. After these disciples, you know, they've been with Jesus for months at this point. Jesus is going to get crucified, resurrected. He comes back to the, to the disciples and continues to teach and show himself to the disciples. And then he's taken back into heaven in, in Acts chapter 1. But he tells the disciples, he says, listen, tarry in Jerusalem this, until you receive power. Wait. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. You'll be able to do my work in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world, earth. Right? Terry, wait. Stay there. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what they do. They obey the Lord. All right. We're not, must be we're not ready after three and a half years of walking and following Jesus, observing everything he's done. He sends them out several times uh, on a mission. He says, you need power. You need to wait for power. That's the same power that's available to you and I. It's the same power that you and I need. Jesus will teach, I think it's Luke chapter 19, 12, I can't remember. He'll teach the disciples that you need to ask, seek, and knock. You need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. That you need it, that the, the dunamis power. He sends them out with that power. He didn't just say, all right, guys, you're ready. Go ahead and go do it. He has to give them power. He has to give them the strength and the ability to do what they do. The same way you get up in the morning, you need strength and power just to be a witness. Jesus in John chapter 15 talking about uh, the, the, that he's the vine, we're the branches. He said, if you don't abide in me, you need to abide in me. If you don't, you won't bear any fruit. But if you do, you will bear much fruit. And then he said, apart from me, you can't do anything, right? Nothing of eternal value. All we can give, and we're going to see it here uh, as the disciples go out, they're going to be able to do amazing things. But then Jesus is going to ask him to do something that seems impossible, and that's to feed 5,000 men, up to 20,000 people, 15,000 with, with women and children, or you know, over 10,000 anyways. There's not a number there. He says, all right, five loaves and two fish, fine. That's what you're going to use. That's what we're going to do. He calls us to do the impossible in his power. Or we're always stuck with five loaves and two fish. If these guys were like, nah, well, we can't do that. Let's just split, split this lunch up. But he gave him power. And you know what else he gave him? He gave him authority. That's the right to do it. I'm going to equip you to do it, and I'm going to give you the right to do it. You know why you need the right to do it? Because the devil is going to come back and tell you, you have no right to do it. Who do you think you are to preach the gospel? Don't you remember what you did yesterday or the week? He'll bring up your past. I'm sure he did that with Peter quite often. Peter, even as he was walking with the Lord, <clears throat> those three and a half years, he made some mistakes and he learned some lessons. 
and he, and he changed. But I'm sure the devil was right there saying, hey, Peter, remember? You did this. You did that. So God come, Jesus comes in and says, listen, I'm giving you a power and the authority. My hand's on your life. Calling you to do this, and you're going to be able to go out and do it. And he sent them to preach the kingdom, verse 2, of God and to heal the sick. And anytime Jesus oftentimes used, used a social program, <clears throat> not every time, but many times Jesus would use something to preach the gospel. Not every time. But his priority wasn't a social program. It's the kingdom. It's his kingdom. Right? I remember hearing Chuck Smith, uh, a story about Chuck Smith. He, kind of, he, he, he was the founder of Calvary Chapel, uh, but the guy was smart. And as he was thinking about a career, what to do with his life, he's wondering, you know, you know what, what, what should I do? And he was, he was uh, pursuing, like, future, and he thought, you know what, I'll be a doctor. I can help so many people as a doctor. And he was smart, he, you know. Some of us, that wasn't my career choice. Uh, that wasn't what I was going to pursue. But he could have. And, and, and he just felt like God spoke to him and says, Chuck, if you become a doctor, you're going to help lots of people. And you're probably going to be able to save people from dying. But then one day they're just going to get sick and ill, and they're going to die, and they're going to be potentially separated from me forever. But if you respond to my call in your life, and become a pastor, you're going to save souls. And you're going to be of greater value to my kingdom. And so Chuck, you know, and he, he was a Christian, obviously, uh, but he was just thinking about what to do. He thought, I'll be able to be a, provide for my family and serve in different churches, do whatever. And he says, no, Lord, I'm going to respond to your call. And I think that when we do mission trips, you know, we, we oftentimes do mission trips. We've been to a lot of different places and, and we've brought different things and, and fixed different things. We'll bring uh, carpenters and, and whatever. Uh, we'll do um, things with the youth. Uh, but the major thing, the most important thing we can bring is the gospel, the truth that changes men's lives, people's lives. And that's going on today. Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives to this day, transforms lives. Heals people's lives. Them to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. And then he gives them some instructions on their journey. And this is part of the lesson uh, that, he's, that he's teaching these guys. He says, all right, don't take anything for your journey. What? No beef jerky? Don't take staff or bag or bread or money. And don't have two tunics, right? He's saying pack light. And he's teaching them an important lesson. He's teaching them to walk by faith. He's teaching them that to validate their calling, that they're going to see supernatural provision and protection by Jesus alone. Like, listen, don't take anything. Down the road, I think Luke 22, we're going to read that he actually sends people out and says, all right, 
uh, take some money, take some clothes. Do you have a sword? Actually, buy a sword. I'm going to send you out. And, but right now, he's teaching them a valuable lesson. Don't take anything. And you're going to see my hand in your life providing everything you need. And if they were like, ah, hey, make sure you grab a little bit of they would have missed it. They weren't, didn't obey that. They would have missed God's hand. And they maybe would have always questioned, God, did you actually call me to this? Did you actually call me to do this? Because there was no supernatural provision from day one. I had this, I had this, I had this. And, and, and they would have never got to see his hand provide those things that they needed. Right? They would have probably never turned the world upside down in the book of Acts because eventually they would have thought, well, must be God's not in this because we don't have any money right now. Right? But Peter at, at the gate, beautiful, when he sees that lame man and the guy's holding out his, his little coin jar, hoping these guys will throw some money in it, Peter's like, hey, we don't have any silver and gold, friend. What? What I have, I'm going to give you, and it's more important, right? Silver and gold didn't bother them, right? Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he says, uh, uh, pray for your daily bread, right? Give us today our daily bread, right? That stresses people out to the max, doesn't it? Like tomorrow you're going to have to wake up and pray for your daily bread. What? We don't do that in America, do we? Pray for our daily bread. The disciples had to. Jesus taught them to. People in other parts of the world have to. But for the most part, a lot of people in America don't have to pray that. Lord, we need food today. Where are we going to eat? How are we going to have, how are we going to get by? And then God's provision comes and God's provision comes. So he says, don't take anything with you. So he's, he's producing faith and character and depth and dependence in these men. You're going to depend, go out without anything, unprepared, pack light. And then he says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. Wherever you go, stay in that house. We have, when you enter a town, somebody invites you in, go there. They receive you, they welcome you, go there. Because we have the, and he says that because we can have the tendency to go to a house, to go somewhere, or to be somewhere, to live somewhere, and say, wow, that looks a lot better to me. The grass is greener on the other side, and they never let their roots grow. Never bloom where they're planted. Like, all right, we're going to stay here. This is God's provision for my life. This is what, where we're going to stay. He says, stay right there. Don't go. Don't depart. And then he said, whoever will not receive you, go out of that city and shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Because it's very serious. Their message is very serious. And that was something that the Jews would do if they went to a Gentile city, whether it was to trade or to work or to pass through. They, when they got to the edge of the city, when they went, got back into Israel, right before they'd shake the, the dust off their feet. Say, say, I don't want to take anything from you 
into our country, right? Well, he says, do the same thing. If somebody doesn't receive you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony. And sometimes that's hard if you're a caring person and you share the gospel or you're telling somebody about Jesus or you're doing something for someone and all of a sudden they reject you. They reject the message and they reject you and you're a caring person. It's like, oh man, that hurts. I'm telling you this not for myself. I'm telling you for you because I care about you, right? And, but sometimes you have to learn to shake it off, right? To be able to shake that off and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to move on to the next person. That was hard. That rejection is hard. I remember hearing a story. I read uh, D.L. Moody. Uh, he committed to sharing the gospel every single day with at least one person. And he went to bed one night. He's like, oh my goodness, I never shared the gospel with somebody new today. So he woke up, got dressed, went down, and there was a guy standing by a street pole. And he goes, hey, are you a Christian? The guy's like, I know who you are. You're D.L. Moody. That, I, if, if I didn't know who you were, I'd punch you right in the nose, something like that. Can't believe you'd ask me if I was a Christian. That's so rude. So he left, and the next guy that he left and went home, the next day, uh, that, that guy that he spoke to spoke to one of D.L. Moody's friends and said, hey, I almost punched that guy in the nose yesterday. I can't believe he was so rude to, share the, to, to ask me if I was a Christian. So the guy went and told D.L. Moody, hey, listen, be careful who you talk to, you know, because, you know, that guy was pretty offended that you asked him if he was a Christian. Obviously, he's a Christian. You know, he's a, he serves at this church, and, you know, just be careful. And D.L. Moody's like, gee, whatever, you know. And, but it didn't, didn't sway him. Continued to do it. And several weeks later, he got a knock on his door late at night. And it was that guy, he said, listen, I have not been able to sleep since you shared that, uh, since you asked me that one question. And all he said is, are you a Christian? Right? But it ate that guy alive. Like he couldn't sleep at night because he knew he really wasn't. That's why he was so offended. Right? So sometimes you got to, all right, that's fine. Shake the dust off your foot, off your feet and keep sharing. These guys had to continue to go from town to town without provision, trusting the Lord. Man, was that you? Was that, was that you? Was it not you? Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? Was I not? Right? They had all the questions that you have. You share at work. You share with people. People get mad at you. And that's what these guys had. Whoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Trust the gospel. And it says they departed, verse 6, and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They were able to do that. They obeyed. They listened. They preached the gospel and they healed everywhere. The gospel has power. Wherever you go, we're salt and light. We're sprinkled through this world. It's what he's called you and I to do. And it says, verse 7, Herod the Tetrarch, this was his region, northern Galilee. That's where the guys were at this time. Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some Elijah had appeared. 
and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. So Herod's like, who is this guy? Some people heard Jesus preach, and they're like, that's John the Baptist. That's exactly what John the Baptist would say. And other people would see the miracles. They're like, that's Elijah or Elijah. That must be. He's like, this can't happen. And they had all these opinions. And it went back to Herod. And Herod's like, I've beheaded John. But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Like he was interested. And that's the way people get. They're very interested. Herod was very interested. We're going to see in just a couple chapters that Herod will actually want to kill Jesus after this. He does get to see Jesus and he rejects him. He only wants to see a miracle. Some people, everybody has an opinion about Jesus, right? And that's what, that's what Jesus is going to ask the disciples. Who do men say that I am? What do you think about me? What are people saying about me? We'll get there in just a minute. But Herod has opinions. He wants to see Jesus. He actually killed John the Baptist. It says in verse 10, the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place that belongs to the city of Bethsaida. So he brings the disciples. They're telling him everything that happened. Man, I said this, Lord. I said that. I probably shouldn't have said this. Maybe I, you know, they're all these different things. Uh, they're, they're telling Jesus about their, their journey and their trip. And this was probably, it could be a week, two weeks. It wasn't uh, an overnight thing, probably, uh, or else it wouldn't have mattered if they didn't take anything for their journey. Like, I'll be back here tomorrow. I'll fast for a day or whatever. No, they went from town to town. They stayed with people. This was weeks. And they returned and, and, and told them all that they had done. And he could see that they were tired. Mark chapter 6, turn there with me just for a second. Get a little more detail in Mark. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 said, The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Right? Can you imagine them all lining up? I did this. Right? These disciples at one point will say, will say you know, who's the greatest? Probably they had a little flavor of this when they were telling Jesus what they're doing. Hey, I actually healed this many people, or I did, you know, whatever. Uh, and so they, they tell Jesus what they had done, what they had taught, all the details. And then he says to them, listen, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. As they're telling the story, people were coming and going. Jesus is still healing. And, and he's like, all right, come on. We got to get out of here, guys. Let's go, let's go take a little break. You guys are tired. Uh, so they departed, verse 32, to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. So they, they, they take a boat out, and they head right back into shore. And it says, the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot in all the cities from all the cities, and they arrived before them, and they came together to him. So they beat him to the spot where they're going to take a nap and rest and, and get comfortable, and probably a little frustrating to the disciples uh, because they wanted a nap, if you've ever been in that position. Here comes the phone call, right, when you sit down in your chair or your couch, and the phone call, oh, 
just about to close my eyes, right? So that's the disciples. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. And what? He was moved with compassion, right? Compassion is your pain in his heart. He sees everything you're going through. And all these people are coming out to, to hear Jesus speak, to be touched. They're in pain. They're, they have questions. They're worried. And Jesus sees them all. He knows the disciples are tired. He sees these guys. And what does he do? He's like, oh, man. He's moved with compassion. Like, all right, guys, I know I said we we're going to take a nap. We're going to rest. But actually, there's something else we got to do here. There's another lesson for the disciples here. He was moved with compassion because they were sheep. They were like sheep having no shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So Jesus starts to minister again because he loves people. Jesus doesn't turn people away. Isn't that good to know? You're tired. You have questions. It's midnight. He's not like, uh, you bothered me with the same question yesterday. It's the same answer. Now we can go right to him. And he wants to talk the matter over with you again. It might be the same answer, but he wants to sit with you. He wants you to hear him. In John's gospel, it says what's going to happen now. What he does is to test the disciples. He's teaching them another lesson here. So back in verse 11, when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, so the disciples are like, all right, Jesus is at it again. They're thinking. I'm just going to read to verse 17. It says, the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the multitude away that they might go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we're in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, it's interesting, they already knew what they had because they already knew what Jesus wanted to do. They already saw the need and they already knew what Jesus wanted to do for these people. So interesting. The disciples are learning. They have Jesus' heart, but they also have their own heart too sometimes, as do we. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. We know from the other Gospels that that was just some kid's lunch. That his, the, the, the one person, there, they're probably looking around like high school lunchroom like, what do you got today? What do you got? Oh, I'll trade you, right? So I don't know if they were trading or just kind of uh, taking advantage of this kid and grabbing some of, the, some of his food. But they're like, we don't have any more than five loaves and two fish. And these, this isn't a big loaf. This is like a, a pita bread or something. Uh, and, and then he said, unless we go and buy food for all these people. And the other disciples, the other gospels say it's 200 days worth of food for an average wage. Like there's that many people, right? And if you've been to the grocery store, you know what food costs. And he says there was, was about 5,000 men. And he said to, disciple, to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the, to the disciples. 
to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up, taken up by them. So Jesus is teaching them another lesson here. And you know what's amazing? And you might be one of these people. Uh, you know, we have basketball games in the gym. This is just an example. But there's tons of stuff that happens here at the church. You go out to the gym and there's a basketball game. And it's fun to watch. And there could be five games. I could sit there all day. But when it's all said and done, what I'm thinking about is who the heck's going to clean this place? Who's going to pick it up? Are the teams still here to help pick up? Other people are like, hey, let's get home. We're going to have lunch on time. We're going to be able to watch our movie. We're, you know, People don't see the need. Not everyone sees the need. Like, what's next? The disciples see the need here. The disciples are like, I know these people are tired, and they're going to want to eat something, and we don't have any food, Lord. What, what's going to happen? Some people are like, you know, but, and there's a great need all around us, isn't there? We, you know, Greg announces servants needed here at the church. Uh, some people notice that. Some people are afraid to do it. The disciples here see a need, and they're a little afraid because they don't feel like they have the resources for these people. I don't have what it takes to feed these people. And I've looked. I've checked. Now we, you told us not to bring anything on our trip, so I'm looking at this kid's lunch, and he only has a little bit. I'm willing to take it from him. He actually offered it to me. Uh, his mom packed a little extra. But we oftentimes don't feel, when, when somebody announces, hey, Sunday school. People are like, Sunday school, my goodness, Sunday school, can't do that. Or cleaners, once every two months. Cleaners, my goodness, clean this whole church, whatever. Some people don't even think about that. Who, who cleans or who uh, teaches Sunday school? You know, it's church. Don't They just do it, right? No, we do it. We're a church. We're a family. It's a body. Who does it? Some people don't think about the need. The disciples actually saw it. They knew these people were hungry. It's the end of the day. What are we going to do? Right? My kids don't think that. They think it's hungry. Feed me. I'm hungry. Feed me. It's the end of the day. The disciples are like, I know they're hungry. I'm hungry. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. But Jesus gives them instruction. You give them something to eat. And they're like, we already checked. We don't have enough. We don't have the money. And we don't have the food here. And, and Jesus, and, and there's 5,000 people, but Jesus gives them instruction. Make them sit down in groups of 50. Just have them sit down. I'm about to blow your mind here. I'm going to take, because if we take our resources, the little we have, that's the next lesson. We take the little that we have. I don't have much. Five loaves, two fishes. I didn't, you know, and we give it to him. Lord, here's the little bit I have. That's basically our life. Here's the little bit I have. He's able to take your life, to bless it, and to break it, and to use it for something far greater than you could have ever imagined. But if you hold on to it, and you say, ah, I'm going to eat these five loaves and two fish, that's it. And you're happy. You're satisfied. But about 15,000 people are going to go home empty-handed with nothing because you're not available. And I think God isn't looking for uh, uh, ability. You've heard that before. He's looking for availability. Are you available to use? Are you available for his kingdom? 
Are you available if he says, if he taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I need one of your loaves. I need one of your fish. What are you doing tonight? What are you doing Sunday morning at, at, at 10 o'clock? There's some kids downstairs that need to be taught a lesson. What are you doing Saturday night every two months? I, can, you, can you mop up uh, a floor or take out some garbage? Can you clean a bathroom? What's our ability? Doesn't have to be a lot. He's looking for availability. And he takes what these guys have. And they were just obedient. Make them sit down in groups of 50. So obviously these guys are like coordinators, organizers, right? All right, guys, sit down, sit down, sit down. We're going to, you want it? You hungry? Sit down. You hungry? Sit down. He gets every, they get everyone to sit down. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them. And then he gave it back to the disciples to, to disperse and to set before the multitude. And they did it. And everyone ate, and it says they were filled. It literally means glutted, right? You ever get Thanksgiving? Like, oh, I can't eat another bite until dessert comes out, right? Like, I can't eat any more. What's for dessert, right? But that's what it means. They're so full. People, everyone ate. And they were filled, and, and, and there was no waste, they're teaching the disciples a lesson. You give me what you have, wait till you see what I get, give back to you. And then there's 12 baskets full. I wonder if all the disciples' names were on a basket, right? And maybe not, but there's 12 baskets left over. Not just some loaves and fish, but there's a basket for you and a basket for you. and a basket. God, you can't outgive them, right? Lord, I'll give you the little bit I have. And he gives them back exceedingly abundantly. And there's nothing wasted in his kingdom, right? Nothing wasted in his kingdom. So he's teaching these guys a lesson that they'll need to take as they continue walking with the Lord. They'll need to understand, you know what? You might feel insufficient for what God's called you to. You might feel inadequate. You might be tired. And they just listened and they obeyed and they learned a great lesson. We're just going to read this verse, these couple verses really quick. Uh, it says this, it happened. So he moves. We know that, that he goes up north uh, to Caesarea Philippi from here. Uh, at the base of Mount Hermon. I think it's like 20 miles north of where they are right now. It says, and it happened as he was alone praying. Jesus, Luke's gospel uh, shows us seven times where Jesus just got away and prayed by himself. He was alone praying. He and his disciples, uh, and his disciples joined him. And he asked them saying, what did the crowd say that I am? He's going to ask the guys two questions here, important ones. What are, what are people, people saying about me, right? We, we know what, what people were telling Herod already. And they kind of give him the same answer. They answered and said, hey, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say Elijah. 
Others say you're one of the old prophets has risen again. People are saying all kinds of stuff. In Caesarea Philippi, the culture there was was, um, pagan, right? So there's, there's temples and all kinds of stuff. So people had all kinds of ideas in that area. What are people saying about me? And, and, and this world has all kinds of ideas about everybody. If you ask anybody about Jesus Christ, people are going to give you an answer. What they think about him. Who they think he is. You know, he's a good teacher. He's maybe done some miracles. Uh, you know, whatever. But Jesus asks a very specific question. It's one that everyone here has to answer. It's, it's a question that everyone is going to stand before God someday and give an account and answer. He says, okay. But personally, who do you say that I am? What do you say about me? Without the crowds, without somebody standing next to you, without who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What do you think about me? And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. You're the Messiah. You're the coming one. You're the one that was to be expected. The Old Testament spoke about you. You're God. You're the Savior of the world. That's what he's saying. Matthew's Gospel says, man, Peter, good job. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And on that statement, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. Peter is commended for that statement. Like, Peter, good job, man. And Peter was on a high at this point, probably thinking, yeah, I got the answer. Told you guys, I'm the best, you know, whatever. And, and, and then immediately, Jesus says, he, he strictly warned them to tell no one of this. And then he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. That's part of my program, guys. I'm going to die for your sins. That's part of what's going to happen here. And they didn't want that to happen. But Peter spoke up right after that and says, no way, Lord. He re- Matthew's account says he rebuked Jesus and said, not so. And then this high, high of Peter, Jesus says, get, be, get thee behind me. For you don't savor the things of my kingdom, but your kingdom, this kingdom. Get behind me. Imagine Peter like, oh, crud. That was the wrong thing to say, I guess, right? Peter did that at times. Who do you say that I am? I think, and I wanted to get to that verse today because it's the verse that, that, that very important verse to remember, to think about, because you're going to have to answer it someday. You're going to literally stand before the Lord someday and give an account for that verse. Who do you say that I am? Because if you think he's just a nice person, not the right answer. He is that. A miracle worker, yep, he is that. That's not all he is. You can live by his teachings and be a better person. Yep. That's not all he is. He's God. He's the savior of the world. And he came to seek and save the lost. He died for the sins of humanity. That's who he is. He's the Messiah. And not only knowing it, the Bible says the demons believe and they tremble. They know it. People might know it, but they don't submit to it. The fact, the reality, 
and receive Jesus as their personal Savior. That's what you need to do. That's salvation. And the crowds want to influence you, don't they? People want to influence you. What are the crowds saying about me? And you can, and you can blend in with the crowd. Well, they said it. One day you're going to stand alone for the Lord all by yourself. Crowds won't be there. You're going to give an account. And I'm going to give an account to answer this question. So, Lord, we are so thankful, God, that, that Jesus, you, you do seek and save the lost. You love us. You care about our lives, Lord. And uh, I, I thank you for the, the example of the disciples, Lord, just regular people that you call, that you empower, you equip, you send out, Lord, and you're always teaching us great lessons, Lord. You're increasing our faith, building our character, changing, conforming us into your image, Lord. And we need it. Thank you for your word and your power. I pray that as people leave here today, Lord, that question matters who we think you are because you're not only the savior of the world you're the king of kings and lord of lords and as your children as your disciples born again redeemed I pray that you would take that rightful place on the throne of our heart that you would be lord that you dictate our lives lord our steps, our breath, where we go and what we do. So many people, and myself included at times, we want a Savior, but we don't want a Lord. We want to be Lord of our own life. We want to be master of our ship. And next week, we'll look at that, what it, the cost of discipleship, what it takes, and what you told the disciples uh, it takes. Surrender. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room who's born again, that we would surrender to your will, that we would be available for your kingdom, that we would give you the little that we have, the loaves and fishes, and watch you take it and multiply it and bless it and bless other people with it. That's pure satisfaction, pure fulfillment. Why we were made and created is to serve you and serve others, Lord. Uh, If we miss that, we miss everything. Plant those seeds in our heart and in our mind, God. Help help us to walk them out, Jesus, in your name.